When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Bowman, and it's time for another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. When we talk a lot about the environmental benefits of botanicals and leaves and all that kind of stuff, and I went on and on and on about the way a bunch of botanical materials in your aquarium can help foster a you know diverse and vibrant microbiome and, and uh, you know support biology. And I think that this ability to foster such a population of organisms within the aquarium may be the top benefit of this approach. Nonetheless, we receive a lot of questions on various water chemistry topics. Yeah, water chemistry. Stuff that, although less exciting to me, is important for us to have at least a rudimentary working knowledge of as we venture into the realm of lower pH and tinted water, right? Now, admittedly, I've spent a lot less time talking about the chemical benefits of utilizing botanicals in our tanks. Largely, it's because my limited understanding of chemistry is far less than my limited understanding of biology. And it's hard to explain some of this stuff coherently with that sort of anti-chemistry handicap. Nonetheless, I've been able to do a fair amount of research on some chemistry topics related to our botanical-style aquarium obsession. There's a lot of good academic stuff out there if you care to dig and study, and the reading could be a bit dry, but it's really interesting. Uh, Today, let's just tackle a couple of topics which come up frequently in discussions with other botanical-style aquarium geeks. Let's start with that term humic substances, okay? It's one of the buzzy catchwords we use a lot. What exactly are those and why should you even care about them? I mean, you probably just want to sit back and watch your tank from a comfy perch, not ponder the mysteries of water chemistry, right? I can't say that I blame you, but it is kind of cool to learn a little bit about this stuff. Let's get to it really quickly and then you get back to your coffee, okay? (laughs) Humic substances are produced by biodegradation of plant and or animal materials. Does that include botanicals or leaves? From everything I can find, it appears to. Typical humic substances fall into three categories, humic acids, fulvic acids, and human, which is carbon-based macromolecular substances found in soils. I know, your head's already spinning, and I don't blame you. Interestingly, humic acids are insoluble in water with an acidic pH. Fulvic acids, on the other hand, which are derived from humic substances, are soluble in water under a wide range of pH levels. Are you confused yet? I am, but that's really nothing new, right? (laughs) Up until the last decade, science considered any influence of humic substances on aquatic life as anecdotal. However, a lot of research conducted within the last 10 years or so has demonstrated that humic substances have an important direct physiological influence on aquatic life, including, of course, fishes. In extreme blackwater conditions, they're known to be what makes it possible for fishes to survive in pH as low as 3.9. In less extreme conditions, we're now, just now, beginning to understand the role that they play in fishes' lives. However, they've been documented to play a major role in the functionality of a fish's immune system. Influence growth, improve lifespan, um, they prevent oxidation of, uh, you know, Uh, DNA damage, detoxification of heavy metals and organic pollutants, suppression of cyanobacteria, regulation of gill functions, 
Uh, they protect the fishes from environmental and physiological stress like low oxygen levels, temperature swings, pH shifts, TDS changes, ammonia, nitrite, etc., etc., and faster recovery from these environmental stressors. It's a lot of stuff. Humic substances have also proven to possess antifungal, antiparasitic, and antibacterial properties, inhibiting the growth rate of real nasty stuff like Aeromonas and, and Escherichia coli, famous you know bacteria and nasty diseases that are caused by them, just to name a few. You can do a lot more research on this stuff if you're willing to you know to dig a bit. But I recommend that if you're interested, that you should because it is really neat stuff. Now. That's kind of you know, all I'm going to say about humic substances right now because, first of all, it can go well above my pay grade as far as the knowledge. I know enough to know that what we're doing probably puts humic substances into the water based on everything I've seen. Uh, I know that they have some benefits, and I encourage you to do further research along these lines. Now, another question we get a lot about is people say, you know, can botanicals soften, you know, the water? And of course, I immediately respond almost reflexively, no, they don't. However. It is known that our old and controversial friend peat moss has demonstrated some capacity to conduct ion exchange. Uh, to refresh your memory, ion exchange is a process in which unwanted dissolved ions in water are exchanged for other ions with a similar charge. Ions are atoms or molecules that contain a total number of electrons that are not equal to the total number of protons. Okay, a little basic chemistry for you there. Peat softens the water by exchanging humic acids. For magnesium and calcium ions. It's actually true. Peat effectively binds calcium and magnesium ions while simultaneously releasing tannic and other acids into the water. These acids sort of work the bicarbonates in the water, reducing the carbonate hardness and pH to some extent. And of course, they'll tint the water as well. Interesting, right? However, you can't just drop some peat in your tank and expect instant Amazon. This process requires what we always hear in the hobby is what's called active peat filtration, i.e. the water needs to pass over the peat to make it really happen or to speed up the process. Yes, you can dump a large quantity of this stuff, but it'll take a long time as we'll get into. And it sort of works. Now, I obviously being the geek that I am, I, you know, and reckless or whatever, I played around with this idea once to try to see if it works and it does. You could just dump the stuff in water and realize some benefit. Now, let me let me backtrack a bit. It took a shitload of peat and a fair amount of time to reduce my Los Angeles tap water with hardness exceeding 240 parts per million and pH of about 8.4 down to what I would call workable parameters of like around 6.4 and the hardness level of around 40 ppm, which is still harder than I would like, but whatever. However, how much are we talking? It took a full two cubic foot bag of peat added to like one of those 30 US gallon plastic trash cans filled with my tap water took it over eight days to achieve those parameters. So yeah, the idea does work. Is it efficient? Uh, not in my humble opinion. By comparison, my Spectra Pure uh, 4 stage RODI unit cranks out about 80 plus gallons of zero TDS, zero carbonate hardness water in a day. So pure you can give birth in the stuff. Now, one could argue that the rejection rate of RODI units makes it less efficient. But hell, I water my garden with the reject water. It's not like I throw it down the drain. And yeah, a unit like mine retails for around 300 plus US dollars, which is a lot more than a two cubic foot bag of peat moss or even three two cubic foot bags of peat moss, I get you. But the long-term consistent efficiency and reliability is pretty obvious to me. 
All in all, for maximum efficiency, consistency, and control, just invest in our ROI, RODI unit, and you'll create soft water with little effort, no mess. You can play with dropping the pH, all kinds of fun stuff. Easy. Yes, it is a bit pricey to purchase an RODI unit, but well worth it. But yes, you can soften water with peat to some extent if you're put to it. If you have the means to do it and you have the means to test and some patience. I've long ago lost that thrill that some people get from these types of money-saving DIY methods. To me, I simply decided to forego other indulgences, save my money for a while, and invest in the RODI unit and call it a day. And you should too. Okay, that's a very quick summary, very cursory information on a couple of topics about water chemistry or water quality or whatever that do come up frequently around here. No doubt, as we have in the past, we'll continue to tackle these and other topics. We welcome your stories, your input, your suggestions, Uh, to this wide open yet very well trodden arena within the hobby. In the meantime, I'm going to expend some more effort on studying decomposing leaves, sediments, and the microbiome they support because I'm that kind of geek. Besides, it's a hell of a lot more exciting to me. Anyway, stay engaged, stay experimental, stay curious, stay bold, stay resourceful, and always stay wet. Until next time, this is Scott Feldman from Tenon Aquatics. Thanks for spending part of your day with me, and I look forward to seeing you on the next installment of The Tent.